Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about love, specifically loving your enemies. A very interesting uh, message popped up on my Facebook timeline from a group of gospel preachers, and I'm just going to take a quick look at this. I did a screenshot. I'm not going to I'm not going to say who this was or anything like that. It's not important. It's just good content for our podcast today. How could Jesus, on one hand, say, love your enemies, and on the other, call the Pharisees hypocrites and brood of vipers? How would you reconcile this? Well, that's a good question. In fact, that's a, that's a pretty good moral and ethical dilemma that we need to deal with as Christians, because I've heard this. And I would say that the person that posted this has heard it as well, and he's looking for iron to sharpen iron, and he wants to see what other people would say about it. Now, that being said, those of you that are watching this live stream right now, if you would like it or give it a heart or something to that effect, and you would share this, it would greatly help our reach. We have had a lot of people in the last couple of days uh like the Facebook page and follow the Facebook page, but that's not enough. If Facebook is going to put our content in front of the page followers, we have to have interactive content. So the way that happens is if you if you who are watching interact with the content and share it, then Facebook's algorithm will pick that content up and put it in front of our followers and put it in front of people who are not our followers so maybe we could convert them to being followers of the Cogitations podcast channel. Cogitations also works very closely with digitalbiblestudy.org, and if you go there, you'll find a lot of neat content. There's a digitalbiblestudy.locals.com website. And if you want to support me as a podcaster, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. Melissa Price is in. She said, hello, Tony. It sounds like an interesting conversation you're about to have, and I hope it is. And uh, for those of you that are listening after the fact, uh, leave me some comments and feedback on my Podbean podcast channel or Apple podcast or wherever you listen. And for those of you that are going to be watching this live, uh, give me some feedback in the, in the, in the uh, comment section. Now, love your enemies. How do we reconcile Jesus speaking by today's standard, very harshly to um, to the Pharisees and scribes. I, I think of Matthew chapter 20, uh, four, 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, but you leave undone the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These ought you to have done, and not to have left the other undone. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, you swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You compass the globe, you compass the world. To make one proselyte, you compass land and sea. To make one proselyte, 
but you make him twofold more a child of hell than yourselves. Oh, man, that's harsh language. That doesn't sound very loving by our standards today. So how do we reconcile love your enemies with Jesus speaking very, very harshly to these people? Well, first off, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 and notice something. Let's see. Hold on just a second. I can't find this verse. We, I thought it was verse 12, but it is not. Uh, I'm just going to start reading uh, verse in verse 11 of Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, here's our verse of interest, Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We speak the truth, folks. We don't speak our own doctrine. We speak the truth, but in love. What does that mean? Does that simply mean we're nice when we preach the gospel? God forbid. That's not what that means. This is an elliptical statement. It's an ellipsis. There are scattered throughout the New Testament elliptical statements such as this. In fact, one can be found. I'm going to put my marker here. One can be found in Second Corinthians or First Corinthians, rather, chapter two, the chapter on inspiration. Let me see if I can find it for you real quick. All right, verse eleven of chapter two: For what man knows the things of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been given free, or that have been freely given to us by God. These things, here's our passage of interest. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, period. Well, with spiritual what? Did you know? Let's let's go to uh, my trusty rusty Esau. Now, uh, go to first Cor- or uh, yeah, first Corinthians, chapter two, and I'll I'll read the American Standard nineteen o one. The American Standard nineteen o one gets the ellipsis. Oh, that's the KJV. <laughs> Where is the American Standard nineteen o one? Right there. Which things also we speak not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Spirit teacheth, combining spiritual things 
with spiritual words. The translators of the American Standard Version 1901 saw fit to um, illuminate the elliptical statement. Now, why is that important? Well, when I go all the way back, hello, Brandon Dreschner and Solee, good to see you, and thank you for the uh, alohas, and thank you for the appreciation, the encouragement there. Now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. What verse? Come on, Tony. 13? No. Oh, come on. Yeah, verse 15. Sorry, y'all. I'm not inspired. I, got, I just had a cranial inversion, if you get my drift. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. Well, speaking the truth in love of what? You see, if I just told you, hey, I'm in love, you would want to know with what or with whom, right? If I was 16 years old and I come into my mama's house and I said, mama, I'm in love. Her immediate reaction would be, okay, wh- who's the unlucky girl? Like, <laughs> what, what poor girl are you infatuated with right now? But the ellipsis has to be assumed. Now, the context would dictate what the ellipsis is. So if I'm having a conversation with my mama when I'm 16 years old and we're talking about girls and we're talking about the future and I would say, you know, well, mama, you know, I'm in love with a girl. That, that would be the context because we're talking about marriage and we're talking about our, our future. Uh, our, uh, we're talking about my future and all that. We preach the truth. We teach the truth in love. But in love of what? In love of God? Doesn't fit the context. In love of souls? Doesn't fit the context. The ellipsis that screams to be given voice is we teach the truth in love of the truth. We don't teach false doctrine because we love the truth. It is the most loving thing in the world to teach somebody the truth, to tell them not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. This is an archetypal understanding. Have you ever uh, watched the movie Nanny McPhee? Very interesting. This nanny comes in, and she's very, very ugly. And when the children start learning life lessons, she, uh, certain things about her visage that make her ugly are smoothed over. And whenever she's very beautiful and the children are acting very beautiful, very beautifully, anyway, when they're, when they're children, what they're supposed to be, she has to go and the children weep. But we don't want you to go. And Nanny McPhee, the, the, the hook is, when you need me but do not want me, I must stay. When you want me, yet no longer need me, then I must go. And the idea is I must go and help somebody else. A lot of times, what is the most loving thing in the world is to give people exactly what they need and tell them exactly what they need and treat them in the way in which they need. The most unloving thing in the world is to be nice. Being nice and being kind are two different things. Now, this is not a license to be offensive with the truth just for the sake of being offensive. 
If I am talking to a member of the LGBTQ community, I can talk with them in such a way that they will never, ever, not once, ever hear what I'm wanting to tell them. I can make them so offended that those triple walls around their heart of cognitive dissonance, selective perception, and selective exposure will surround their heart and protect their hearts from the truth of God's Word getting in, and that'll be my fault. But if I simply teach them what the Bible says, what is truth, because I love the truth, and they get offended, and those three walls, the walls of cognitive dissonance, selective perception, and selective exposure come up, then I'm not to blame for that. And in fact, I can stand before my God on the day of judgment and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I did what I could do is the idea. Now, enough of that. So that, that's, we, we've got to know why we tell the truth. We tell the truth because we love the truth. If we were to have our alignment with teaching the truth because we love a soul, it may be that we love one to the detriment of the other. And if you're going to love a soul, it cannot, you, you cannot love the soul to the detriment of the truth. If you love the truth, it is possible to love the truth, well, to the detriment of the soul, but the problem is, that's not your fault. If you teach the truth and somebody spurns that, well, that's to the detriment of their soul, but you didn't cause it. If you teach somebody not the truth, if you compromise the truth because you love their soul, you have been nice to them to the detriment of their soul, and that's your fault. I go back to Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 33 about the watchman. It's the watchman's job to give warning. It's the people's job to take heed. If the watchman gives warning and the people don't take heed, then the wicked people are going to die in their sins and the watchman's hands are clean. If the watchman does not give warning and the people, the wicked people die in their sins, they're still wicked, they're still going to suffer their punishment, but their blood will God require at the hands of the watchman. In other words, the watchman will be responsible for that. We fulfill the role as a watchman. We give warning. So we must teach the truth in love of the truth. Give the pure, simple, unadulterated message. As Melissa Price says, truth is our only hope. It's very difficult to hear truth sometimes. In fact, truth changes you. It changes your perspective and, it, and it, truth causes you to hate. Did you realize that? Psalm 119. I can't remember 119, 104, we'll say. Let's go over there and see how close I am. Psalm 119, maybe 105. 105 don't sound right. All right, bear with me. Psalm 19. Yep, it's 104. I should have listened to me. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. We have to understand, when it comes to the things that come out of our mouth, 
It has to be commensurate with reality. That's truth. So the greatest way to love someone is tell them the truth. I tell you what, something just came into my mind. Um, the rich young ruler. All right, Matthew chapter 19. Let me see if, if this is what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. I'll get it here in a minute. Matthew 19, 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he, Jesus, said to him, Why do you call me good? None is good but one that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep, your, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And you shall have love and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well the young man said to him, All these have I kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. All right. That's not what I was looking for. Mark, let's go to Mark chapter 10. So we understand the uh, the context there, what's going on, the rich young ruler. And Mark says something interesting. Mark records what Jesus, not only what Jesus said, but evidently what was going through his mind as well. Descri he described, Mark describes the action. All right, let's go to Mark 10, starting in verse 17. Um, actually, let's just go to verse 21. After Jesus said, keep the commandments and list the commandments, verse 21, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. But of course, he was sad at the word at this word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Notice what Mark records in his text. Then Jesus, the King James says, beholding him. I mean, really scrutinized him, really took him in, loved him, and told him something that he knew would cause him to run away. Well, Jesus, that's an enemy of the cross. Yeah, it is. Well, shouldn't you be drawing people to you? Well, yes, that, that's what I tried to do. Yeah, but couldn't you have said something differently? Couldn't you have been nicer to him? Couldn't you have given him a little hope? I mean, did he have to sell everything that he owned? Well, look, I'm God. I know what's in his heart. I knew what he needed to hear. I knew what he needed to do to get out of the way so he could enter into the kingdom. And his possessions were holding him back. I just told him what he needed to hear. What would you rather me do? Would, would it be more loving than to say, hey, look, just... Go hire, go hire a steward for your home and come and, and, and bankroll my ministry and let's, let's go around Galilee and Jerusalem and, and all those places in luxury? I mean, he, I'll still be able to preach a gospel. I'll be able to preach the gospel from a silk pella instead of a stone bench. But that man will go to hell. Now, now what do you think is more loving? 
telling him to sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then take up his cross and follow me? Where at least he, on the day of judgment, will be aware that he made the decision and he wasn't duped into some false hope? Which is more loving? You, you, you accuse me of not loving this man. I put forth to you that I loved him more than you because I was willing to tell him the truth. I was willing to risk losing him and what he could do for me in order to tell him the truth. We run into that in our congregations a lot, don't we? How many times has an eldership come to a gospel preacher and said, hey, don't preach about X subject? I've been told not to preach about the one true church in such a way that makes members of denominations who would be in the audience feel like they're not a member of it. That's not loving. Oh, it's nice, but it is not kind. Let me give you an illustration about kind versus nice. I watch Dragon's Den. I love the UK version of Dragon's Den. You can find about a thousand clips from the pitches on the YouTube channel, on YouTube. I love it. Um, here's, the, here's, the, here's the model. Um, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs come in. They say, hey, here's my idea. Um, I'll give you uh, for $50,000, 50,000 pounds sterling. I, I don't know what that equates to dollars. We'll say $50,000. $50,000, you can have 10% of the company, and then the dragons weigh it out and talk about it. Duncan Bannatine set through a pitch, and he closed a little notebook up, and he said, listen, I can be nice or I can be kind. Let me be nice first. You have a wonderful business model, a wonderful business idea, and you're going to make a lot of money if you just keep at it. That's nice. He said, now let me be kind. How much, how much of your own money have you already put into this business? You know, $175,000. Okay, you need to stop. You're never going to make money with this product. You're never going to make money with this business model. And any investment that you get will be a waste of money. Go back to the drawing board and find something different. Now, that is kind. Why? Well, because it's the truth. These people had a terrible product. And because it's YouTube, you could do a little bit of research. Their product... They didn't take Duncan's advice, and they ended up failing. The business failed. But that, that's what we're dealing with. If, if I'm talking to somebody who's an enemy of the cross, if I'm talking to somebody who's my enemy, and I don't tell them the truth, even if it sounds harsh, I do not love them with the love of Christ. Think about John chapter 8. He told those Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer, and you want to murder me. If you were Abraham's seed, you wouldn't want to murder me. You're the devil's seed. You do what your father wants you to do, and I do what my father wants me to do. Two totally opposing uh, uh, goals than mine there. That's what they needed to hear, because it's the truth. How would you expect Jesus to change that in any way? The truth will stand when the world is on fire, Mitch Sparks, absolutely.
So the question, I'll, I'll bring the question out again because we're getting into the segue into the reply to the question I wanted to cover. All right. How could Jesus on one hand say, love your enemies, and on the other call the Pharisees hypocrites and brood of vipers? How would you reconcile this? Well, I would reconcile it by defining and showing what treating someone lovingly is, and I would juxtapose that with the truth that the Pharisees were hypocrites and a brood of vipers. And without that confrontation, they have no hope of changing. Let me tell you something. Well, let's... James chapter 1. Be hearers... Be, excuse me. Be doers of the word and not just hearers. If you go to a mirror and you see that you have a blemish and you leave, and you don't cleanse the blemish, you don't take care of the blemish, then you're like somebody who hears the word of God but doesn't obey it. So think about that. But what, what, what if the mirror lied to you? You know, what if you had a big old, I, I just, for lunch, I, well, for lunch, for an early dinner, a supper, whatever, I ate some beef hot dogs, two of them, ketchup and mustard. And whenever I was done, I had, I had mustard right here. Well, I don't like having mustard right there. That's no fun. In fact, that's not a very flattering uh, picture of me. So I've got two options. I can either have the mirror lie to me and only show me a filtered reflection, only, only sh- you know, may- maybe, maybe it'll make me broad at the shoulder and narrow at the hip. Maybe it'll give me a big angular jawline with a beard that, that the hair grows all the same way. Maybe it'll give me that bright yellow, gold, corn, silk, blonde hair again that I used to have. But that wouldn't be very loving because then I wouldn't be able to adequately ascertain the changes that I needed to make. You see, what's more loving? Not telling somebody that they've got the mustard blemish on their face or going through a little bit of, a, of, of embarrassment and having to be a little sheepish and point out the mustard on somebody's face so they can take care of it. It's not your business whether or not they take care of it. But if they're your friend, if you love them, if they're your enemy and you love them, then you're going to tell them about the mustard stain. You're going to be kind, not nice. Not nice would be not saying anything, or nice would be not saying anything but then that wouldn't be very kind because they're going to get home and look in the mirror and they're going to realize they were walking around the mall all day with you and had a big old mustard blotch on their face. Anyway, here's a comment and reply. I want to, I want to cover this, and we're just about done. I won't repeat what others have said about how love is defined, etc. I'll just add in a, an additional idea on top of it. In the New Testament, most of the so-called harsh language is reserved for brethren who don't love as they should. Jesus was notably hard on the Pharisees and such, primarily because of their hypocrisy, and, and he didn't cite this, but I would cite Matthew chapter 23. On the other hand, he was patient and gentle with every sinner and outcast he met. Think about that. What about the woman brought to him in adultery? Hey, you know what the law says. Which one of you are going to throw stones first? 
Paul reserved some of his harshest words, book of Galatians, I'm looking at you, for fellow Christians that weren't living right, book of First, first and Second Corinthians, I'm looking at you, while writing also that we should love our enemies and leave judgment and vengeance to the Lord, Romans chapter 12, I'm looking at you, and wonderful comment here. So something, something, something to that, I think, is what the guy says. And it is. Jesus didn't go around calling everybody hypocrites and a brood of vipers because not everybody was. Now, here's where we fall short sometimes. My name is Tony Brewer, and I'm not the son of God. I am not inspired. I'm not a prophet. I can't tell people's thoughts and intentions of their heart just by looking at them, just by being around them. So I've got to get to know them a little bit. And I think what we don't, if, if we don't watch it, what we'll do is, especially when we're dealing with our denominational friends, or friends in the denominational world, I should say, um, we'll attach thoughts and intents. Like we'll say, oh, well, those people in such and such denomination, you know, they don't love Jesus. Huh? Wow. What do you mean they don't love Jesus? Let me tell you something. That's egregious. That's error. That's wrong. Now, if you want to dive down and get very, very pedantic, according to the way Jesus defines the terms, in a very technical way, they don't love Jesus. I will admit that. And I, this, is another, this is another position where I changed my mind. There, in years past, I wouldn't even say that. There's no way you would get me. I have family members who love me way more than I deserve, whom I love very much, who are members of the denominational world. They are in the realm of darkness, okay? In years past, you would never get me to even concede or admit to an, 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 a, a hair's breadth into the realm of them actually loving Jesus because in my mind it's very cut and dry. They're not, they're not following or practicing the truth. If you love me, keep my commandments. They're not keeping the commandments. They don't love Jesus, period. They're not even the friends of Jesus. You're my friends if you do what I say. So I get that. that that's true, what I just said. But if we're being kind, if we're loving our enemies, we are, we are going to take the time to get to know them and see whether or not they are either dishonest or genuinely mistaken. And I think that's where we fall short sometimes. You see, Jesus could behold the rich young ruler and immediately cut right to the core. Hey, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor then take up your cross and follow me. We can't do that. So we have to be long-suffering, we have to be forbearing, and we have to throw being judgmental out the window. And if we're dealing with somebody that claims Christendom, we need to acknowledge the fact, hey, these people love Jesus as much as we do. In their way, they're just misguided. So we're going to shine the light of Jesus now, we're going to tell them the truth. We're not going to pull our punches because we, we preach the truth or teach the truth and love the truth. But we're not going to call these people 
hypocrites and a brood of vipers, enemies of the cross, or anything like that until they've proven to be so. Now, it is the case. If you are around someone who is a a follower or practitioner of a false religion long enough, you're going to come to that opposition to where you have to say, look, I can no longer be around you because you're an enemy to my God. But that's not where we start. And and it shouldn't be where we start. Jesus didn't start there. Jesus preached the very simple, plain message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then those that refused the repentance, he started delving into that. And then when they showed themselves to be enemies of God, wanting to kill him, well, you are a brood of vipers. This generation seeks after a sign. It's a brood of vipers. It won't be convinced. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their heart is waxed gross. Their eyes are blinded. Isaiah prophesied of them. They draw close to me with their mouth. Their heart's far from me. Hypocrites is what they are. Children of Satan. I'm not saying that we, we will never get there with an individual. But we're not going to get there as fast as Jesus did. But we're also not doing anybody any favors by compromising the truth and being nice. Anyway, I think that's all I've got. Remember, Jesus beheld him and loved him and told him something he absolutely knew would cause him to leave angry. How do we reconcile the commandment to love our enemies while also telling people truths that will run them off. It's because we are lovers of the truth. And if we preach the truth and let the chips fall where they may, we know everything that works out is God's will. And if you'll read Deuteronomy chapter 28 and focus specifically on verse 63, we will see that God's justice being satisfied is a good thing in the eyes of God. Ezekiel 33, I think it's verse 10, God's not willing that any should perish. That's not the right verse. That's Anyway, as I live, saith the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their wicked ways and live. Turn you, turn you from your evil ways and live. For why will you die, O house of Israel? God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. But God's, God does take pleasure in his justice being satisfied. And his justice is equally satisfied with the punishment of the wicked or the reward of the righteous. It's our job to preach the truth and to love the truth and be as kind as in as much life in us, we need to be kind with the truth. And that's all I've got. I hope I said something today that makes you think. I hope I've had something, something today kind of wrinkled your brain. Remember, you've stuck with me this far. Consider supporting me at Near Churches uh, at podbean.com forward slash Near Churches. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, you can also consider supporting me in the other ways that are in the show notes. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side.